0: Um, you know, these old stories, they're written down in, in uh, an old Greek language, Koine Greek, a language I loathed to learn And when I was in school, grad school. Um, learning language is not well-suited for my brain, nor our 8 a.m. classes three days a week, which is, I don't know why they would do that, but that's how they would make us learn this dead language. And because it is dead, a dead language, that means translation is difficult. Um, you can't just go and ask like someone from the community, like what do these words mean? Or what is the grammar here? Dead languages, you can't really ask people. You kind of just have to figure things out on your own in context and piecing together these puzzles. So we don't know a lot uh, for sure about a lot of things in translations. And so for that reason, you know, translations can often have this weird strangeness to it, particularly I find in, in the New Testament with like tense and sort of uh, who the object or the subject of a sentence might be. Whenever I find myself reading passages like that where I have this weird sense, I just kind of attribute it to being a bit lost in translation. And there is something like that here, which I, I was uh, both hoping and scared that someone would pick up and say it or just ruin it. But um, the angel so tells the women that Jesus is risen, so uh, go to Galilee where you will see him. Right? And who the you is is a bit unclear. I looked at a number of translations, and um, it could be the disciples. That's what the women would say to the disciples. You, the disciples. Or does this you also include the women as well? Now, this wouldn't actually be a huge deal if not for the fact that as soon as they're told this and the women take off to holding this, the biggest news the world has ever heard, uh, they're supposed to go to Galilee, and Jesus, who's also supposed to be going to Galilee, just suddenly shows up right, and stops them in their tracks. It's a very bizarre detail. Um, Was the translation weird with the U or was the angel wrong, did he get the plan wrong or what's going on here? Perhaps it's just a minor detail that doesn't mean much in the context of a story about a dead man walking. But in taking particular notice of this today, I decided that perhaps the meaning of this weirdness is a little bit fun and joyful, which is, um, yes, we can speak of fun and joy here at and Branch. The Bible can be fun sometimes. Uh, I personally lack a lot of patience in my life, right? And it's something that I've noticed a lot more as I get older, and I'm trying to be mindful and remedy. And one of the things I'm really bad at being patient about is giving gifts to people. So I'll get a gift for somebody, and uh, have a designated time and place to give it to them. But I get so excited at the idea of exciting them and it's going to be like, everyone's going to be happy and we're going to embrace and feel all the good shit. And so often I'm like, I got you something. You know. <laughs> or uh, also, do you want to know what it is? I'll just tell you right now. If you want to know right now, I'll tell you right now. Because I cannot wait, you know, like the 20-minute car ride home Um, for them to actually open it for themselves. My wife knows this about me very well. I am uh, absurdly impatient with this sort of sense of joy and surprise and giving. And this is how I read uh, the story today. Oh, you, you don't have to put it up. The angel was told the plan and delivered the message of that plan just as this angel was instructed. Go to Galilee. Jesus will meet you there. But it was actually the risen God that could not wait. I don't know if Jesus was like hiding in the bushes or something, or just going to Galilee and just ran back. But either way, bursting with this sort of joyous, impatience, uh, Christ comes back to see his friends. Which is why I added this little translation in there by Sarah Rude, which instead of giving us his boring greetings... <laughs> I don't know. Ta- Greetings, friends. She writes there joy to you, right? Joy to you, joy to you, joy really to me, joy to us. And now we'll go back to the plan. You go to Galilee, blah, 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 right? And maybe the angels would sort have of ruined or rolled their eyes because um, Jesus ruined the plan they had just discussed. But even there, I think, would have been a lot of joy in that moment. This aspect of resurrection is, is strangely downplayed. You'd be hard-pressed to find art depicting these events that suggest even the smallest bit of cheer or bliss or some freaking merriment. Uh, there's a lot of crying in these paintings, shocked faces, solemnness, which yes makes a lot of sense. There are many versions of the story that have aspects of that, but the text and our imagination, I think, allows us to look at something a lot more fun, a lot more joyous, this image of a laughing Jesus. And I want to show up this. I feel like I've shared this before maybe, but this is a laughing Jesus. It's um a, partic- a particularly beloved piece of art in the Korean church um, for some reason. Uh, we might view it as kitschy. It kind of looks like uh, Pablo Pascal in that meme that's, been going around, um, I've seen it blown up and hung huge in many Korean church sanctuary, including one just up the road here, and in, in I think in Northbrook. And of course, this image is one that I knew well because it hung in my parents' home. Uh, this is <laughs> this is me and my, my mom and dad. Um, and yes, let's zoom in a little bit there, and there we go. There is... Uh, Jesus, um, and like any piece of art or weird art that we grew up with, right, in our homes, in our childhood homes, things like this occupy a bizarre place for us, right? This sort of loathing and nostalgia and embarrassment and comfort all wrapped together in one. I think this would not be a a strange or out-of-pocket way to describe Easter, or more specifically, resurrection. This... Loath, nostalgic, embarrassing, and also comforting event, this unavoidable giant boulder which blocks the easy road, I think to spiritual comforts and delights. you know, love your neighbor and turn the other cheek, and blessed are the poor. these are you know obviously not easy things to do, but they fold in very well into our view often they fold in very well into who we think we are or want to be, right? Be a good person, treat others well, yada, yada, yada. But resurrection, I don't think, fits very well with a lot of things. That's what I'm reminded of every year as we think about this story. It is hard to fit in. Where it goes, where it is told, where we proclaim it, it leaves something of a mark. And I think it's because it speaks something uh, some, to something that we all wish was true and would be so thrilled to believe only if we could. Right? Which is this idea that death is not the end, but death is not the final word. I took a brief trip to California recently to see my family. Family trips are not like normal for my family, so it was weird for my parents to, Request one, they asked uh, us to come to San Francisco to see them, where my my brother's family went, myself, Kyungyeon, some cousins, their kids. We all gathered there. I should've known something was up again because this is not like a normal thing for us, right? I didn't catch on until my my mother was like, we gotta have a family conversation. And there they told us that my dad had been uh, diagnosed recently with cancer. Not to worry, or at least I'm telling myself that and all of you, it's like very treatable, they said it's caught very early, not a huge deal. They in fact uh thought about not even telling us because it you know wouldn't be a real concern, and why bother us with that? but ultimately, they decided to let us know, and I'm thankful for that um, and so of course, this has been in my mind a fair amount since the news broke, and from what I can gather in my research and talking to people, they are correct. Uh, My my father is very unlikely to die from this cancer. But nothing so far has made it so abundantly clear that indeed death is coming for this 73-year-old man who's such a big part of my life. Many of us here have suffered loss, um, loss of parents included, people close to us we've loved, um, almost lost people, uh, have, w- have well stared into this abyss of death. And there are a few things in the world that expose the huge gap between abstraction and concrete reality more than death itself. And in now having to be forced to close this gap with this news, I found myself very curiously, mostly just wondering about my, my father's life in a bizarre sort of way, right? Does he feel like he lived a good life? Is he, is he happy with the life that he lived? Does he remember stuff that happened on a random Friday night when he was like 28 or something? Did he have a good time in those days? Did he get down? Definitely not, but did he get down, I wonder? You know, what joyful memories of his childhood will he turn to when he's in need? what did he what does he wish he did differently i don't know just stuff like that i keep thinking about i guess in a way confronting the reality of of his death has pushed me to see him like an actual person right to see him like an actual person not just this dad with all the baggage that that dadness brings with it um uh, not just this person existing for my own self-actualization, but for his own, for his own life. Right? Somehow I feel like uh, I'm seeing him perhaps for the first time as who he really is, for who he really is. Do I hope that uh, my father survives this so that I won't be sad or that he might live? You know, I think this is a question that I'm coming back to a lot in, in this time. And it's that there's a distinction there. It's like, uh, sounds simple, but the distinction is huge. Right? It's in that distinction lies some possibility of understanding and believing in this preposterous Easter story. Whenever uh, stories of our tradition meet us as though foreign or alien or too supernatural to understand, often the best way to proceed is to latch on to the fleshly part of it, the fleshliness, the human part of it, the part that draws us to understand the lives of these characters, be they in the Bible or in our own selves, um, as their own full beings, with their own feelings and their own fears and their own joys, just like us. I think God would agree that this is the correct interpretive turn, because I don't see any other reason why God would choose to become incarnate or human Uh, not just in the same bodies, but again, in the same heart, emotion, mind, all of it connected, all gifted and cursed to us. Why would God do that if this was not the way we ought to look? In the Easter story, I wonder how the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, no longer this sort of abstract prophecy or cryptic chatter over the Last Supper, but now this cold, hard-lived reality, how did it change the other character's relationship to him? Did they come to think of Jesus differently? I think the common interpretation is like, of course, yes. <laughs> that's why we're all here. But you would think that, or people might most likely say that that's because, you know, there's this empty tomb, right? And... um This flash of power, this lightning, and an angel sitting there like, how could you not be changed from that? But I don't really buy that. I don't buy that that's what changed them or changes us. Because that to me doesn't feel very human. Doesn't feel very human. What feels very human and real and transformative to me is this idea of a giddy God. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that phrase is so horrible. A giddy God, uh, an excited Christ, right, Running, ruining the plan out of impatience, just wanting to hurry up and share in this joy with his friends again. And in that moment, I imagine, I hope that Mary, that the Marys, the two Marys, and whoever else was there, for the first time, saw this person as more than just a teacher for them, right? a miracle worker for them, a Messiah who would save them, without this sort of sheer weight of one's own life and death weighing them down, obstructing their view. Perhaps that morning they were finally released of that burden, that anxiety, this for me, and then, in Jesus' beaming resurrected smile, they finally see God. They finally see God. Uh, the story is, doesn't change every year. we hear it um, mostly the same, but depending on the year, you know I think there are aspects of it that matter more to us than others and 2020, March 2020, um, the passage was about Mary grieving in the garden. She was crying. COVID had just happened. Lockdowns were going on, and we didn't know what the hell was happening, and uh, we were seeing those images of hospital trucks overflowing with dead bodies, and the grieving image of Mary in the garden spoke very loudly. In uh, 2021, um, we needed to feel some sense of resurrection amongst us, I think. And so we went out into the world and to the beach and um, preached the message of seeing this event of new life sprouting everywhere. Uh, last year, last year, we, I'm sorry, I forgot. For yeah, I don't remember my own sermons. Last year, uh, we talked about being present for each other uh, using this sort of Death penalty, the dead man walking, the minister to those on death row as an image of Christ for us. And this year I was thinking, you know, what is it that is salient? What is it that we feel we might need right now? Uh, It's not news that a great deal of our lives is spent, you know, in this state of really grasping and scratching and clawing, struggling to, to get what we need, what we want, what we hope. Um, for the sake of us feeling some sort of like contentment or peace. And whether this is true of our generation more than any other, I can't say with any certainty, but it's clear to me that we sure as hell live uh, in a lot of anxiety, we people. Um, We are an embattled group (laughs) of people. There's a lot of doom and gloom we talked about like two weeks ago. There's a lot of doom and gloom about the state of our world and our ability to make any sort of meaningful impact in it. And I don't think that feeling is, you know, unjustified. But what's alarming to me is when I have these conversations, how frequently, how frequently things turn to a kind of cynical self-preservation, right? So many people seem to conclude the world is such a mess, we might as well look out for ourselves. I think that's a really scary, scary thing. In this light, Easter to this year is asking me... Um, This specific question, what is it about life that makes death worth conquering? What is it about life that would make resurrection a worthwhile thing? Our ability to articulate this, an answer here is really vital, I think, for our survival. And this is the gospel, the good news turned a little bit inside out. It's not a proclamation of what comes after death, but what makes this life worth saving in the first place. Does anybody hear me on that? (laughs) Amen, brother. Preach that depressing shit. Okay. So we may be tempted here as I close. We We may be tempted to read the Easter story as one about life after death. But really today, it is for us a testimony about how to live now. And that's an answer, you know, as we do here at Root & Branch, uh, don't necessarily give to you, because who am I to give? It's an answer we seek together as a community um, continually for as long as we are here. And I hope it's one that you will, cont- you will seek for yourself as you leave this place today. But I will give you something of a hint as to what I think, which is like I said before, to find an answer, you have to get in close, close to the human part, close to the flesh, the blood. Because in that part of the story, as we saw today in Matthew, I think there rings out an answer of joy, a full embrace of a life now unburdened by death in all its forms. Joy that is naked, that is vulnerable enough to live as we are meant to live, called to live, as we desire to live, that allows us to behold, see one another as we are meant to be seen, not as objects for our own use, but reflections of God's delight, God's presence, smiling Jesus to live this way, all of it is actually possible and in fact is already with us here and now and always. Traditionally, we would say in the church, Christ is risen and the people would say, Christ is risen indeed. So let's end there. Can we do that together? Christ is risen, friends. Is risen Amen. Amen.